Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. There is so much in the Word of God, so much depth that we can't handle it all in one day. But what I want to share with you brings to conclusion what we've been studying here about the sanctuary. In the end, in life, there's only two choices. Jesus Christ himself said, you are either with me or against me. No one gets to the Father but through me, Jesus said. And as we look at the conclusion of their end and our hope, I pray that we can make decisions today that will last for an eternity. Decisions that will bring us peace in the midst of tragedy, that will bring us peace no matter what is happening in our life, that will bring us a knowledge and an understanding that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that He wants the best for us. As we look at this series, this is how we started. Right, The psalmist was worried about the prosperity of the wicked, but we've seen that that's not the case. They, they do suffer. They, they do go through things. Sometimes we lose our perspective. But as for me, he says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their end. It is at the sanctuary of God that the separation begins to take place. And I want to share something with you that I kind of alluded to a couple of weeks ago. It's this notion of one degree. One degree doesn't seem that much, but one degree makes a difference. If you travel one foot and you're one degree off, you're only 0.2 inches from your target. Insignificant, no big deal. After 100 yards, though, you're 5.2 feet off your target. Once again, if two people are walking, no big deal. We're only five feet apart. No difference. After a mile, though, you're 92.2 feet apart. That's from first base to second base, a little bit further. Once again, no big deal. You can still talk to each other. You can still have a conversation. You might have to strain your voice a little bit, but you're still in the same area. But if you're traveling from San Francisco to L.A., one degree off and you're six miles apart. If you were traveling from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., you'd be 42.6 miles apart. You'd be in Baltimore. If you traveled around the globe from Washington, D.C., around the globe by one degree off, you'd miss it. By 435 miles and you'll end up in Boston. Just one degree. If you and I were taking a Jeff Bezos rocket to the moon and we were one degree off, you'd be 4,160 miles off your target. Just one degree. Nearly twice the diameter of the moon. If you were going to the sun, you'd miss it by 1.6 million miles, nearly twice the diameter of the sun. Just one degree. Traveling to the nearest star outside of our sun, you'd be off course 
by over 441 billion miles, 120 times the distance from Earth to Pluto, or 4,745 times from the Earth to the Sun. Just one degree. And these are distances that we can measure. Imagine being one degree off from Jesus Christ in light of eternity. And that is the issue that we're concluding with. For not to be in Christ through all eternity, you would have missed the greatest event in the history of the world. Both sinners and saints stand in the same position in the sanctuary until they bring the Lamb. Until they bring the Lamb. We're all the same when you look at a teenager who's beginning to make choices that will affect their lives. Every teenager, for the most part, looks the same. But when you look at their life in their 90s, they would have been a product of the choices they made, not at age 89, but the age of, in their teenage years. One degree off from Christ will get you lost. But the beauty of this is that in Christ, he will cover your mistakes. And that's why we have the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so the separation begins when you take that long walk by yourself in repentance. That up to a half a mile walk where you realize that it is not by my own strength or by my own merits that I can get to the throne of grace as we'll learn today. But it's only to the merits of Jesus Christ. They represent what you need. The bread, the light, the prayer represents what you need to get you through the difficult times this life presents. The word of God, the light of the Holy Spirit, and the incense of prayer. Without prayer, our life is nothing. And we saw the Hollywood stars. And like I said, I make the disclaimer again. In the end, we don't know if they're lost, but it doesn't look good. Because like a thief in the cross, they could have repented in the last moment. But we go by how their lives did not glorify God. Robin Williams, who made everybody laugh, ends up committing suicide. What was he missing that he couldn't hang on to the hope of Jesus Christ? We looked at Whitney Houston, who grew up in the church and yet dies of a drug overdose. Will Smith, who once respected the sanctity of marriage, now says that that's old-fashioned and marriage should be open. We looked at the 27 Club. Young people in music and Hollywood who've died at the age of 27, and two of them specifically had notions of joining the club. Kurt Cobain and Amy Weinstein was afraid three years prior of dying at 27 and ends up dying at 27. They didn't have what gives you the strength to go on. In my darkest days, I go to the Word of God and I go to prayer. And when I realize what He has done for me, I realize that His bread, His Word, His Spirit and prayer sustain me to keep going on. But today we go deeper into the most holy place. This area here, the last compartment. And there we find something that the world has forgotten. And I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. The book of Exodus, 
chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. Here you have the Ark of the Covenant. Once again, like the other aspects of the sanctuary in the holy place, it's, it's made out of wood, but it's overlaid with gold. And so you can imagine when the light and the reflection of the candlestick hits it, it is illuminating. This is where God me, um, met with Moses. And verses 21 and 22 says, you shall put the mercy seat. You know, my favorite preacher, C.D. Brooks, said, when your life is a mess, he was talking about the woman caught in adultery. And she's at the feet of Jesus. He says, when your life is a mess, no better place to be than at the feet of Jesus Christ. No better place to be than at the mercy seat on top of the ark. And the ark you shall put the testimony which God will give you, which is the Ten Commandments. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, verse 22, from between the two cherubs, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. There above the mercy seat at the throne of grace, beneath that he sits upon the law, a reflection of his character. And today when the world says, follow your heart, God says, my throne is built on my character, which is my law. My commandments still stand. My commandments are still valid. If you want to live, follow them for eternal life. For they will lead you to the feet of Jesus Christ. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb that starts the engine to the plan of salvation. The Lamb that can bring you from outside of the court into the holy place. Into the throne of grace where you will find mercy and strength for what you need. It is the law, the standard by which the just and the wicked shall be judged. It is none other. We think of it as the Ten Commandments, but it's none other than the character of God. The reflection of his character. And remember, we spoke when we started about the sanctuary. Then when Moses inaugurated it, God filled it with his temp- with his glory. And I want us to go back there to Exodus chapter 40. Once again, a reminder in verse 34, when they had finished building it, God told Moses, step out because I'm going to fill it with my glory. In verse 34, the inauguration of the temple, it says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Exodus 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. And remember what we said that the tabernacle was a show and tell to the people and it's a show and tell to us of the plan of salvation. If you want to be saved, you need to accept the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ. And then he will take his merits, his blood, into the holy place and then into the most holy place. It is a microcosm of the plan of salvation and it has ramifications for us today. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at several verses. Hebrews chapter 4. It's after all the T's in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4 is a very famous verse, well known amongst Christianity, but we need to see why it makes sense in light of the sanctuary. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. This is the invitation. 
Therefore, in light of everything Moses has been, I mean, Paul has been arguing in Hebrews, but what I've been presenting in these three series, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Why? Because there are millions of things vying for your confession today. Whether it's music, Hollywood, whether it's fame, fortune, money, your job, whatever it is, don't let that separate you, not even one degree from the love of Jesus Christ. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. But we have with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. The most famous verse in this chapter. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. You want to make it to the holy place? You want to come boldly to the throne of grace? You need Jesus in your life. You need the blood of the lamb shed for your sins. You need to start the engine to the plan of salvation. By accepting Jesus Christ in your life. Remember at the beginning we all look the same. Every teenager looks the same. But when you fast forward their lives till their 90s. What they have become has been a product of the choices they made. One degree off from integrity. One degree off from Christ in your life is ruined. But thank God the thief on the cross found the grace and the merit of Jesus Christ, the blood applied to his life. And even though he made a mess of his life, we are not saved by works, but by the merits of Jesus Christ. But unlike the thief on the cross, I'd rather have peace from the very get-go. I'd rather have that assurance that Christ is with me and that he will never leave me nor forsake me. He lived a miserable life. And yes, he's saved by grace like you and I, but I'd rather have the peace that passes all understanding as I walk the valley of the shadow of death as I walk deeper into the sanctuary of God as I see the smiling face of my Savior saying well done good and faithful servant as he waits for me at the throne of grace the throne of grace is there because we're going to make mistakes come boldly because turning back is not an option I want to take come boldly Because losing eternity is not worth it. In the Old Testament sanctuary ritual, you came boldly to the throne of grace because you brought your lamb. The forgiveness of your sins cannot be brought into the holy place or to the most holy place unless you brought the lamb and the blood was applied. And this is where I want to talk to the the majority of Christianity. And we'll get deeper into this as the sermon progresses. But the altar here represents the cross of Christ. It represents Jesus dying on the cross for you and I. But if that was it, if that's all the plan of salvation entailed, then why the rest of the building? If the cross and Jesus cried out, and we'll look at it here and we'll get deeper into it, where he cried out, it is finished. If it is finished, then why did my father die? If it is finished at the cross, why did we bury Robert this week? If it is finished, why there is still pain and suffering? What was finished, not the end of sin, but the guarantee 
That you and I, if we accept Jesus Christ, will have everlasting life. The plan of salvation, your victory, my victory, the victory that my father will have when he will raise from the grave, the victory that Robert sleeps in, that victory was guaranteed at the cross because his blood will go to the throne of grace. His blood will resurrect the dead and the dead in Christ will live. That was finished at the cross. But still sin lingers. And still sin causes pandemics. And and still sin causes confusion. There is an end to sin. But the cross was a guarantee. But its application of the blood of Jesus Christ had to be carried into the holy place. And then into the most holy place. Only then and there did the psalmist see the end of the wicked and the hope of the righteous. Come boldly because turning back is not an option. Turn, come boldly because I don't want the alternative. Now we have Jesus, the Lamb of God, that goes to the throne of grace for us. And in the sanctuary series, I mean in the sanctuary ritual, twice a day, the Lamb was sacrificed. Representing the continual protection by the blood of Jesus Christ in our life. Twice a day, every day that the sanctuary was up, it represented Jesus' merits for your behalf. He lives to make intercessions for you and I. Every day we live, He is applying the merits of His blood. But once a year, in the old sanctuary, remember, built so that God may dwell among us, there was this ritual called the Day of Atonement. And I want you to open your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 26. Leviticus. Remember, this is a show and tell of the plan of salvation. So what applies in one year in the Leviticus system applies for the eternity of this planet. As long as this planet is alive, this sanctuary has its application in the reality that you and I are living In verse 26, it says this. The Lord spoke to Moses. Leviticus 23, verse 6. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 6. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On exactly the tenth day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall humble yourselves and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on this same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there is any person who will not humble himself on this day, he shall be cut off from his people. As for any person who does any work on this time, that person I will destroy From among his people. So that one day represented the separation of the sheep and the goats at the end. When those who will live for eternity and those who will be lost is represented in this one day. This is the show and tell was not the reality. The show and tell is never the reality. But we are living in the reality because our great high priest is in heaven. And the cross was a reality that he died for us. And yet throughout the cosmic ages until he comes back in glory. And we will see this. The heavenly heavenly sanctuary still stands where he is making intercessions for you and for me. 
Where He is forgiving our sins that are confessed. Where He is forgiving this planet and having mercy and grace, withholding the winds of strife for as many could come in will not perish, but have everlasting life. This corresponds the reality to the end of the world when Jesus comes back. And those who have accepted the sacrifice, who were looking for forgiveness, founded on the day of atonement. Those that did not were cut off from the people forever. One group who came to the throne of grace find mercy and peace. Those who did not never find peace because they cut themselves off from the one person who can give you peace. Let me give you once again a real life example. Once again, I make the disclaimer. We don't know where this individual is going to spend eternity. Because there are last minute confessions like the thief on the cross. That all of his friends probably thought he was lost. But in that last minute, he gave his life to Christ. And that's the hope I have for all these musicians and this character I'm going to show you. And the reason I pick on this individual is because I grew up in the 90s. And there was a jingle that was made famous. Some of you will know who I'm talking about when I'm going to try to imitate the jingle here. Sometimes I dream that he is me, like Mike, if I could be like Mike. Why do I pick on Michael Jordan? Listen to what he says here before I give you more. He says, how can I enjoy the next 20 years without so much of this consuming me? He ponders. How can I find peace away from the game of basketball? And if you read deeper into the article, and you can Google it, he says he has no peace outside of the basketball court. Nothing brings him peace. As a matter of fact, he used to go as blasphemy as possible when his code name, you know, these famous people cannot give their real names at a hotel because the fans will find them out. You know what his code name was? Anybody know? Yahweh. That was his code name. He says, I have no peace. And I love Michael Jordan, the basketball player. And I pray every once in a while for his salvation. But he says, no peace. Michael, over a game? Over a game with so much happening in the world, no peace? Like I said, I don't know where he'll spend eternity. But if he never finds Jesus Christ, he'll never find the peace that he's looking for. If he doesn't accept Jesus, he'll never find it. But the lack of peace is what the world is experiencing. And it will experience until the end of time. That restlessness in your heart. That misgiving. When so many people commit suicide. When so many movie stars. And I pick on them because we all know them. But this happens to regular people all the time. Teenage suicide is up during this pandemic. Depression is up during this pandemic. And we're not above it. But if we're saved, I hope we know where to turn to. To Jesus Christ. Elijah suffered from depression. John the Baptist had his doubts. But when the rubber hit the road, they went boldly to the throne of grace. And they found the strength and the peace that they needed. But one degree off from Christ. You look at Lucifer. 
the closest of created beings, right there to the right of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit at the throne of grace. The closest, most beautiful creature took his eyes off God and became the worst creature created ever. Right there by the throne of grace because he didn't have faith in the one who sat on that throne of grace. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation chapter 15. If the altar where the lamb was slain represents Jesus Christ on the cross, then what we're looking at as we look into the most holy represents the end of time. This is happening in the heavens above. Yan- Philip Yancey. Anybody know that Christian author? He says the most profound question. And this is a prolific author with beautiful. His book on prayer is wonderful. But he says his most profound question is not found in the book of Revelation. Or in the book of uh, Daniel which are prophecies. He says profound question. And it's the question many Christians cannot answer because they don't understand the sanctuary is if it is finished at the cross, Philip Yancey asks, then why are we still here? If it is finished, if Christ cried out, it is finished at the cross, then why are we still here? He says 2000 plus years later. And I told you a few minutes ago, what is finished is the guarantee of victory in Christ. That was finished. But the fact that we're still burying loved ones is a reminder that something is still not finished. We're not home in glory where there is no more death, pain, suffering, where tears are wiped away. And so Philip Yancey doesn't understand why, because they don't understand the heavenly sanctuary and everything it implies. And so look at verse 15. Beginning at verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's just only 8 verses or 7. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous. Seven angels who had what? Seven plagues. Which are the last. Because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like the sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image. And the number of his name. Standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord the Almighty, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. And now here's the question that I want us to look at. He asked, the writer asked, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. So the question is, right, as we look at the end of the wicked, the question is, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? The answer is going to be given to us. But I can't imagine someone who looks at the glory of God and says, no, thank you. Because in the end. Here on earth, there will be a group that will not fear and glorify His name. But in the end, in the very end, after the millennium, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
that he was right from the very beginning, that no one need take one degree off from Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. After all these things, I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. Where are we? In the most holy place. Where the mercy seat is above the law of God, which represents the character of God. The tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. Remember, this is just a show and tell of what's happening in reality. And the seven angels who had seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. In verse 8, remember just like in the inauguration, verse 8, and the temple was filled with smoke. From the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So here we are in the most holy place. But now no one's able to go in because it's no longer the inauguration. It is the grand finale. Our great high priest has asked everybody to leave. Intercession is over. Probation has closed. And I don't want us to worry about probation. So many times in Adventism we worried, oh, when is my name going to come up? If your name, if you are alive, Prior to the second coming, your probation is not some secret thing up in heaven. Your probation is the choice you make. Will you take the mark of the beast or will you not? You will be confronted not in some heavenly sanctuary. That's for the, those who have died. Those who are alive before won't have to worry about if my name coming up. If the choice is made to you, Christ or the mark of the beast, and you pick the beast, you know where you're ending up. If you pick Christ, even if they should kill you, you know you have a home in glory. No one will be snuck upon with this who are alive at the second coming with, oh, I wonder if I passed. You will have to make a choice in this life as a witness to others around you. I will stand with Christ no matter what takes place. The temple is filled just like the start, but now this is the end. Remember the question, who will not fear or glorify your name? The plagues begin to fall. For our Christ, as the plagues are falling, he's switching from his priestly robe and he's putting on his kingly robe. No longer coming as a meek lamb, but as a lion of the tribe of Judah, coming back to take you and me home. And yet the wicked still will not repent. Look at chapter 16. You can read it on your own, but we're only going to look at a few verses. Remember the seven plagues of falling, verse 8 and 9, chapter 16. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat and blasphemed. Who? The name of God, 
who has the power of these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Think about it. How deceptive that one degree is off in your lifetime. How deceptive it is not to be in Christ. That you know you're fighting against God himself. And yet you still blaspheme and refuse to repent. Verse 11. And they blaspheme the God of heaven. Because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. Backtrack. To when they were innocent in their teenage years, not knowing about life or prior to that, before the age of accountability, no one would ever specifically pick, I want to be lost forever. But by the time they've come to to this point, after they have been left behind, not accepting the blood of Jesus Christ and making decisions and following the world on their own strength, on their own merits, they cannot reach the throne of grace. They cannot reach the throne of mercy because they have never accepted the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So by this time, their minds are so warped, their their hatred is so entrenched that they know they're fighting against God and yet they blaspheme and refuse to repent. Look at verse 21. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail, because its plagues were extremely severe. When the psalmist in Psalm 73 sees the end of the wicked, he has seen all of this because he went into the sanctuary of God and he realized how horrific their end will be. Fighting against the God of the universe himself. We look, I mentioned John 19.30. We're not going to look at it. We'll look at two other verses. But that's where Jesus It says, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. But we've emphasized now for the third time, it couldn't have possibly been all finished because we're still here. We're still suffering. There's still plagues. What was finished was the guarantee that if we accept his son, we will have eternal life. The victory was secured on the cross. But you have to accept the blood of Jesus Christ. And that takes you on a path into the holy place. And then into the most holy place. And this lasts your lifetime. And none of us know how much we, how long we're going to live. I may be speaking to you for the last time today. My life for your life. But if you have Christ, you have eternal life. Amen. But I do want to read 16 verse 17. The second, it is finished. It's worded differently, but it's still the same concept. Then the seven angel poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. What was done here then? If the first one was a guarantee of, of, of the plan of salvation, what was done here? After the seven plagues, what is done is we know who's who and who's not. We know who's saved and who is not. We know that earth's history as we know it is done. This sinful planet will never be occupied the same way as before. The second it is finished or it is done. If you want to 
say it the way the scripture. But as there is a holy trinity, there is a holy, it is finished, it is done, it is done. Turn with me to Revelation 21, 6. And we'll come back to this chapter. But look at 21.6. Then he said to me. It is done. I am the Alpha. And the Omega. The beginning. And the end. I will give to the one who thirsts. From the springs of the water of life. Without cost. At this point, And we'll read it here in a second. Matter of fact, let's read it now. Verses 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, made ready a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, what? The tabernacle of God is among men. He asked the Israelites to build him a sanctuary that he may tabernacle, that he may dwell among them. And that was a show and tell of what God really wants to do. One day when that new Jerusalem comes down, the center of the universe, the throne of God will be on this earth and God will fulfill his promise to dwell among his people. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without cause. Psalmist saw the end. He saw what life without Christ is. It's a natural destruction. You're dead man, dead woman walking without Christ. You may breathe, you may smile, you may laugh, but without Christ, it's a horrible end. Psalmist saw the final end, the destruction of the wicked. They live on earth with no peace and they die a horrible death in the end. But it should not be that way for you and me. Remember at the beginning in Psalm 73, my friend Jonathan loses a baby one hour after birth. The end of the wicked is helplessness. They're lost for all eternity. But my friend Jonathan will hold his baby healthy as can be. My friend, Dr. Appel, who lost a baby while providing his life as a doctor in the mission fields, will see that grave open and his child handed to him. Their end, our hope. My dad, die of Alzheimer's, will be resurrected with a vigorous mind in an eternal body. Robert, who we just buried, will rise for eternal life. And many of the loved ones we've lost in Christ, like my grandmother, will rise never to hurt again. 
That only takes place if you make it to the throne of grace. That only takes place if you come boldly. That only takes place if you live at the foot of the cross. We can have peace in this life. And live forever at the foot of the throne of grace. If we surrender and walk into the sanctuary of God. But as you see, you can't walk into the holy place, into the most holy place on your own merit. You need the blood of Jesus Christ. Their end, our hope. We will live for all eternity, rejoicing in what God has done for you and for me. But during those thousand years when we are reviewing the mystery of God, there's going to be moments where we wonder why someone we love didn't make it. And the beauty of my God and the beauty of your God is that we will see the life of everyone and realize that it was their own one degree choice that kept them from heaven. It wasn't that God wasn't pursuing them, for He gave His Son that whosoever will believe in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Take me into the Holy of Holies. The only way I can get there is by the blood of the Lamb. So I want to make a specific appeal. If this sanctuary message is new to you, or if you have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you want to walk with Him all the way in to the most holy place and stay there and abide with Him. And I ask you to stand up. I don't know. We may all here be baptized and in Christ. I don't know. But if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, if you are just barely understanding this sanctuary message and you want to know more and you want to go deeper and you want to surrender, I ask you to stand at this moment. Amen. There's one. Is there anyone else? The throne is calling. Jesus is pleading. Come home. There aren't any others. If you are a committed Christian, but want to make sure you stay on the path, I ask you to stand as we sing our closing song. But don't stand because that's what we normally do. But stand because you know this life is too short. And I need Christ in my life. I need Him to take me boldly into the throne of grace. For without Him, there is no hope. Without Him, we have nothing. Take me in before the throne of grace. Before the throne of God above. And may I dwell in His presence forever. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.